welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the podcast. And our sponsor this week is the JAEC Foundation, which is hosting an international conference on open dialogue this August. And you can visit the website jaecfoundation.org for more information. And now on to our interview. Welcome to Madden the Family. I'm Miranda Spencer, Family Resources Editor. We've covered the effect of climate change and extreme weather events on children's and mothers' mental health. Today, we're going to continue the conversation on environmental links to emotional distress. Namely, emerging research showing that pollution in the air and water can affect our minds and emotions. We'll learn why children are especially vulnerable, both while they are young and later in life. Our guest is Christina Marusik, a Pittsburgh-based investigative reporter for Environmental Health News, an award-winning nonpartisan organization dedicated to driving science into public discussion and policy. Last fall, she collaborated with the news outlet Allegheny Front on a five-part series, Pollution's Mental Toll, How Air, Water, and Climate Pollution Shape Our Mental Health. They found that residents throughout Western Pennsylvania were likely suffering changes to their brains due to pollution in the surrounding environment, even at levels below federal limits. Prior to joining EHN in 2018, Christina covered issues related to environmental and social justice as a freelancer for a wide range of digital media outlets, including The Washington Post, Slate, Vice, Women's Health, and MTV News, among others. Her reporting on environmental health for Public Source won first place in the Keystone Society of Professional Journalists Spotlight Contest in 2017. Christina holds an MFA in nonfiction writing from the University of San Francisco and a bachelor's degree in creative writing from Hofstra University. Welcome, Christina. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Most people are aware that environmental conditions can impact mental health. For example, the threat of climate change and related extreme weather events can trigger anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic reactions. You covered some of those links in your series for environmental health news about Western Pennsylvania last fall. Um, But you also uh, covered the fact that air and water pollution can affect mental health as well. What emerging scientific research or events led EHN to start covering this connection? So I was working on a big collaborative project involving lots of media outlets that were covering mental health um, broadly. And when that made me wonder what sort of connections existed between environmental health and mental health. And when I started looking into it, I found that this is a relatively new area of study, um, but that the few studies that do exist were finding really compelling evidence that pollution impacts mental health in some really important ways. And um, as you mentioned, I wasn't surprised to learn that being worried about pollution or climate change can contribute to anxiety or depression, but I was very surprised to learn that um, pollution can also cause physical changes to our brains that can impact our mental health. So let's talk about air pollution, which was one of the big things that you looked at. Um, What were some of the main findings from your series last fall on the effects of emissions from fossil fuel production and other industries on mental health, especially um, for our concerns in children? 
So I talked to the authors of three recent studies on air pollution and mental health. And the first study out of the UK was really unique because it followed kids who'd been exposed to air pollution for 20 years, which is quite a long study. And they found that the more air pollution people were exposed to as children, the more likely they were to develop um, symptoms of mental illness when they turned 18, which is when um, symptoms tend to first show up for lots of people. And they did a good job of controlling for other factors um, by adjusting their findings to account for things like family psychiatric history, socioeconomic deprivation, um, social disconnection and dangerousness in people's neighborhoods. And that study was also unique because it looked at symptoms of mental illness rather than specific diagnoses. So um, they used surveys to look at things like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance use, post-traumatic stress. Um, and Erin Rubin, the lead author of that study who I talked to, said something I thought was so smart and so interesting. He said um, they did that because the idea that there's a specific disorder people get with an on or off switch is really outdated. Mental illness is not mental illness is not binary. We're not simply either depressed or not depressed, uh, but we all walk around with symptoms of mental distress that we find more or less burdensome depending on what's going on in our lives and our ability to regulate that distress. So that was kind of the newest study, um, but it was also relatively small. They only looked at about uh, 2,030 people for that study. So I also wanted to look at some of the bigger studies that exist. Um, and the second study I looked at was published in 2019, and it looked at mental health data from 151 million people in the United States and 1.4 million people in Denmark. And that study found that long periods of increased air pollution in urban areas were linked to a 16% increase in cases of bipolar disorder and a 6% increase in depression diagnoses. And this one was looking at like formal diagnoses from a physician. So mood symptoms. Right, that's correct. And um, those researchers had more detailed data for the Denmark group than the American group, and the link between air pollution and mental illness for that group was even stronger. So um, among those uh, 1.4 million people in Denmark, air pollution exposure was linked to a 31% increase in bipolar disorder, a 104% increase in schizophrenia, a 210% increase in personality disorder, and a 68% increase in major depression. So those are significant increases with exposure to air pollution. Yeah. Was there a third study? Yes. And so those first two studies both looked at kind of the long-term effects of air pollution on mental health. Um, so I also spoke with the author of the first study to ever look at the mental health effects of short-term air exposure to air pollution in children. Um, so rather than kind of following kids who were exposed or adults who were exposed over a long period of time, uh, they looked at five years of emergency room data for more than 6,800 kids and teens who visited Cincinnati Children's Hospital um, for psychiatric distress. And that included things like anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, suicidality, personality disorder, personality disorders and schizophrenia. And they found that kids who were exposed to high amounts of air pollution um, or higher amounts of air pollution, not necessarily exorbitantly high amounts, um, were significantly more likely to end up in the emergency room for a mental health problem a few days later than children with lower exposures. It sounds like there's something neurotoxic going on here because there's pretty compelling evidence. 
Yeah. So scientists are still, they're still trying to figure out exactly what happens in brains that are exposed to air pollution that impacts our mental health. So they're not exactly sure um, what the mechanism is so far. But a lot of researchers think think it's related to the inflammation that air pollution causes. So chronic inflammation in the brain can damage neurons that are involved in our autonomous nervous system. The way uh, regulatory responses, and that can impact our mental health. Um, and so in animal studies, they've found that uh, exposure to air pollution creates persistent inflammation in the brain, and that can cause symptoms that mimic depression or bipolar disease. So um, I gathered there was also a disparate impact that was found on communities of color and low-income communities when it came to all these studies of air pollution and mental health. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we know that um, communities of color and low-income communities tend to have worse air pollution in general overall. Um, so they're just more likely to have those exposures. But in that study that looked at kids who went to the emergency room in Cincinnati, um, they also looked at the overlapping effects of air pollution exposure and poverty. And they found that kids from neighborhoods experiencing uh, high levels of poverty were most likely to experience a mental illness crisis following spikes in air pollution. Um, and the author I spoke with said that could be because poverty and crime uh, cause stress, which also causes inflammation in our bodies. Um, and, you know, he kind of hypothesized that that could be overlapping with the inflammation caused by air pollution to worsen the effects. Makes sense. So a few months ago, continuing um, with what EHN is doing about mental health and pollution, your colleague Grace Van Dielen um, reported on scientific findings that ground-level ozone can negatively affect mental health of teenagers. What is ozone, and how does it seem to affect young people's brains and behavior? Ozone is a chemical byproduct that gets released when certain pollutants are exposed to sunlight. And those pollutants come from things like car exhaust, power plants, and industrial manufacturing. But they can also come from like the fumes that are released from paints and solvents and glues. Um, and in the study that Grace wrote about, researchers at the University of Denver and Stanford University uh, looked at mental health symptoms in 213 uh, adolescents who were between the ages of 9 and 13 um, in communities with various levels of ozone pollution. And they found that the kids with higher levels of ozone exposure were more likely to have an increase in depressive symptoms over a four-year period. And the symptoms they looked at were things like feeling sad or tearful, withdrawing socially, or losing interest in their daily activities. Um, and this is pretty significant because three out of every eight Americans live in counties with ozone levels that are rated F on like a report card type of scale by the American Lung Association. Um, so those are places with a high number of unhealthy ozone days. Um, and right now, cities in the West and Southwest have the highest levels of ozone pollution, which is likely being driven in part by wildfires that are caused by climate change. Actually, doubling back a little bit about the kids' ER visits, um, I seem to recall that you wrote that the the pollution levels were within federal limits, but they were still causing effects. Yeah, that's right. So in that particular study, 
uh, all of the spikes in air pollution they looked at were still below federal air pollution thresholds. So none of them actually broke clean air laws, but they still saw this effect of kids who were exposed to these spikes in air pollution being more likely to end up in the ER with um, symptoms of mental illness. Um, and the author I talked to also pointed out that, you know, that study probably represents the tip of the iceberg because it only captured symptoms severe enough to prompt an emergency room visit, right? So it didn't capture anyone who had like a milder increase in their anxiety or depression, but not severe enough to, you know, prompt their parents to take them into the hospital. Um, so you're right. I think that's important to to know. It's it's part of this kind of growing body of research um, in the last couple of years, indicating that air pollution is really harmful to human health in various ways at levels that are well below current legal limits. Okay. Um, to continue this cheerful discussion, let's look at water pollution, specifically lead. There's, I believe, no level of lead in drinking water that health agencies consider safe. Um, probably the most famous case is Flint, Michigan, a few years ago. But you found that the situation was even worse in Pennsylvania. Is that correct as far as lead levels in water? In the course of my reporting, I found out that in back in 2016, 18 Pennsylvania cities had higher levels of lead exposure among children than those that were seen in Flint, Michigan at the height of its lead crisis. So that's things have gotten better. Things are better than that today. Um, but the percentage of Pennsylvania children with elevated blood lead levels is still more than twice as high as the national rate. So it's still a substantial problem here. Yeah. So how does lead and other water pollution affect kids' mental health? Scientists are a lot clearer on exactly how lead impacts the brain than they are about air pollution. Um, and because uh, they've been studying it for a lot longer at this point. So um, lead exposure impacts a protein receptor in the brain that's known as the NMDA receptor, and that stands for N-methyldextroaspartic acid receptor. So you can see why they use the acronym. Um, but the NMDA receptor is, is critically important for brain development, learning, and cognitive function, but improper functioning of that receptor is also seen in the brains of people with certain mental illnesses, and in particular, um, schizophrenia tends to involve uh, dysfunction of the NMDA receptor. That's a relatively new theory, no? I think so. So I should I should um, give the caveat that um, this was all explained to me by a researcher who specializes in lead, and this is how he kind of broke this down for me. Um, but I don't know if this is the only. I don't know that this is the only theory out there. I think it's pretty well established at this point. But anything that affects a brain chemical obviously is going to have some kind of effect on us. So that makes sense, right? And the. Um, it's really interesting how how he explained this. So that that NMDA receptor uh, influences the development of inhibitory neurons that help keep the brain balanced, and when it's damaged by lead exposure, it doesn't create enough of those. So he said that in a healthy brain, you have excitatory and inhibitory neurons that kind of balance each other out. They're there in kind of equal numbers to keep things balanced, and if that's interrupted and you have too many excitatory neurons and not enough inhibitory neurons then the balance is off and that can manifest as mental illness. Right. I've, I've heard that lead in, uh, in water or lead that kids intake 
um, can lead to like aggression, learning um, difficulties, and, and so on. That's very well documented. Yeah, that's right. So um, it is kind of newer. You know, a lot of the early research on lead exposure in kids focused on um, cognitive ability and learning um, in kids. And some of the more recent research has started following kids who were exposed to lead for longer periods of time. And they're, they're finding now that being exposed to lead as a kid can actually impact your mental health in middle age in ways that might not even show up until much later in life. Very interesting. One important thing I got from EHN's reporting on all of these environmental issues is this big picture. There's a role for environmental pollution in triggering mental health problems, but it often happens in the larger context, as you kind of said earlier, of living in a stressful condition, such as poverty and racism, the pandemic and crime and, and so on. Can you talk about that bigger picture a little more? I think the, the kind of big important takeaway is that communities that have like high levels of childhood lead exposure are also likely to experience other issues that can disproportionately impact mental health. And that can include things like um, poverty, racism, violence, and also other harmful environmental exposures like air pollution. So if you're in a community um, with lead in the water, it's also likely that you're experiencing higher levels of air pollution. Um, and uh, research has shown that regardless of income level in the United States, uh, black children are two to three times as likely as white and Hispanic children to experience lead poisoning. And that is a lingering effect of racist practices like redlining, which restricted uh, black communities to neighborhoods that were considered less desirable by uh, their white neighbors um, and a clear result of, of environmental injustice. And similarly, research has shown that black Americans are exposed to uh, more air pollution than, than any of their other counterparts, regardless of income level. And that, again, is a kind of lingering effect of these systemic inequalities. Yeah, it sounds like a kind of a perfect storm. Now, on to more what can be done about this. Um, these systemic problems would seem to require government action at, at some level. And I like that the EHN series focused a lot on solutions. So what can parents and families do to protect their kids' brains and bodies from these pollutants aside from moving if they can? Yeah, that's an important question. Um, and I would say that one thing people can do is uh, do what do what they can to help move along some of those like regulatory and government level changes you mentioned that we really need to protect everyone. Um, and one way to do that is to reach out to your local, state, and federal lawmakers to tell them that these issues are important to you and urge them to enact policies that promote clean air and safe drinking water um, and letting them know that that's important not only for our physical health but also to protect protect our mental health. Another good way to do that is following advocacy groups that do work related to clean air and clean water, especially that are uh, local to you. Um, if you follow those groups on social media, it makes it easier to stay in the loop about like new proposed laws so that you can take action when it's most important. Um, and as part of the series, we also included a page of resources uh, about taking care of your mental health and getting involved in advocacy related to clean air and water. But at a more individual level, um, families can consider buying indoor-outdoor air monitors. Um, there are some that have 
uh, are made for home use that have gotten cheaper and more accurate in the last couple years, like um, Purple Air Monitors are one brand that's pretty widely available. Um, and then avoid spending a lot of time outdoors or doing strenuous exercise outdoors if you're having a bad air day in your local area. Indoor air pollution is also a problem. Americans spend 90% of their time indoors, and unfortunately, when there's air pollution outdoors, um, it can kind of get trapped in our homes, too. So um, people can consider buying an air filter for inside the house. Uh, those can be expensive, but there's a way to do a cheaper DIY version by attaching a HEPA filter to a box fan, and that you can do that for, like, under... 40 bucks. Um, and there are instructions available for how to do that online. And that can go a really long way to help uh, clean your indoor air. Um, in terms of water, um, you can use a good water filter that removes lead. Basic Brita filters um, or other kind of widely available water filters, mostly all are good at getting lead out. Um, but there's another filter that removes a lot of additional contaminants called the zero filter. Um, that's kind of one of the better ones available for residential use. Um, and then most states and cities have lead safe home programs that can help you test for lead paint and remove it from your house safely if if it turns out you have lead paint in your home. No, I, I love how many practical solutions there are. Um, are people recommending that people have their kids' blood tested who live in polluted areas, you know, to find lead or 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 something like that to kind of get ahead of it to understand what the exposures are or um, it's kind of the damage is already done. When it comes to lead, most U.S. cities require some sort of um, lead testing for toddlers. And I think even outside of cities, um, most pediatricians take a look at that at, in the first couple years of a kid's life. So um, if your pediatrician is not looking at um, blood lead levels, I think it's definitely a good idea to ask them um, between like ages one and three when you're going in, you know, if you're having blood work done anyway, just ask them to do a lead screening. Um, but for the most part, um, like I know here in Pittsburgh, um, we have a requirement that all kids are screened for uh, lead in their blood at a certain age. Could you tell us quickly about the community-based mental health care models being developed in the Pittsburgh area? It sounds like people are really kind of organizing at the local level to address this. Yeah, we've seen, especially um, after the pandemic, we've seen a number of community groups um, form that are based on kind of, some of them are based on like a group therapy model, and some are more just uh, connection and solidarity and being able to talk about um, concerns related to some of these issues, which can uh, go a long way to making people feel um, less alienated and more empowered to figure out how to take action. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, can you think of any other resources families might look to to get help with pollution issues that can affect their kids' mental health? Yeah, so I think it's important to note um, all of this stuff, all of these studies sound a little scary, um, but when it comes to individual exposures, you know, the changes we're all 
fairly moderate. And where this becomes a significant issue is when you're looking at um, like a whole population exposed to air pollution, right? So the change in one person, it's not going to make someone, being exposed to air pollution is not going to make someone who is perfectly healthy suddenly have like extreme mental illness, right? It's more about the fact that if we're exposing millions of kids to air pollution, then the cumulative impact becomes significant, right? And something we should be worried about as a society. So taking these little steps you can um, to protect yourself and your family, like air filters, and um, certainly like getting involved and engaged with your local cleaner advocacy groups is really important. Um, but I think, you know, it's good also to keep the big picture in mind and kind of um, focus on making sure we have regulations in place in the United States that keep everyone safe all at once. So we're not putting the burden on individual parents, right, to buy the right filter and, and carefully monitor the air and um, have to be so, so vigilant about trying to protect their kids. Um, so yeah, I would encourage folks to, you know, contact their lawmakers and try to get involved in ways that, that create systemic changes that can help protect everybody. So what's been the response to the reporting on the pollution mental health links? And have anything, uh, has anything positive in terms of change happened since these um, articles came out? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, a big part of my series was focused on Pittsburgh, which is where I live. Um, and the air quality is exceptionally bad here, um, particularly due to industrial polluters. We have some big legacy industries here um, that tend to pretty flagrantly violate our clean air laws. And after the series came out, I heard from a lot of residents who were concerned about impacts to their mental health and wanted to know what they could do to take action. Um, and we definitely saw a lot of people reaching out to some of our key lawmakers here in the region to tell them about the links between air pollution and mental health and make sure they know that this is a concern and this is on people's radar. And um, those things changing laws tend to take time, you know, t these things can take years. Um, but thanks to years of uh, this kind of advocacy work here, we've seen our local health department, which oversees air quality in the area, um, step up its enforcement of clean air regulations in recent months and issue some really big fines to some of those big industrial polluters, which has been, feels like progress. And that's been good to see. And are you working on any news stories about the links between environmental pollution and child or adult mental health? Yeah. Um, so after my series came out, um, you mentioned that story by uh, my colleague, Grace. Another former intern at Environmental Health News wrote a great story about um, challenges for the growing field of study on pollution and mental health. And um, he talked to some researchers about why it's difficult to get funding and where the data gaps are. Um, there's also some confusion from academic journals about whether this type of research qualifies as psychology or epidemiology and where it should be published. Um, so that's a really interesting piece, kind of looking at what are the challenges, what are the barriers to more of this important research being published and getting out there in the world. Um, Environmental Health News also published a general guide um, covering frequently asked questions about the links between air pollution and mental health. And our editorial board published an op-ed calling on scientists, health advocates, and doctors to further investigate and understand the ways environmental pollution impacts mental health, um, and particularly to ask 
to call on clinicians to start paying attention to this issue and having um, environmental exposures on their radar. Um, I'm always keeping an eye out for new studies on this, and I'm hoping to do a follow-up story on the series sometime in the fall. Um, but I'm also always open to story ideas. If any of your listeners have them, I'd be happy to hear from them. That's great. Uh, Christina Marusic, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been great chatting with you. To learn more and take action in your family and beyond, listeners can visit ehn.org to find a wealth of both original articles and news aggregated from other news media about environmental health. You can also check out other resources listed at the bottom of the edited transcript of this podcast on the MIA website. Our guest has been Christina Marusic of Environmental Health News. I'm Miranda Spencer, and this has been Mad in the Family. Thank you for listening to the Mad in America podcast. Visit madinamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.